Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Literacy Podcast. Melissa and Lori love literacy. Melissa and I are really excited to talk even more today um, about English learners and high-quality instructional materials, and we have the best expert in store for you. (laughs) We have Crystal Gonzalez. She's the executive director at English Learners Success Forum. And Melissa, I know you're ready for for this because we did a little primer with Sarah Webb. I know. And now we get to dive deep. And I just like, I mean, I personally in my teaching career did not, I don't know if I had any English learners. I'm thinking back, if I had any, I don't, I don't even remember. So I don't think I did. (laughs) Um, So it's just really a place for me to learn a lot, which is always really exciting for me. Yeah. I actually, Sarah Webb shared a story about a student when she taught fifth grade, a student who came and knew no English. And I had that exact scenario. Um, But I, we didn't have high quality materials. So while he did stay in the classroom, he also was pulled out. And I fear that he got the experience that we wouldn't have wanted him to have. And so I was reflecting on that and feeling, you know, really guilty. I want to, I want to go talk to him and his family and just check in now. Um, but you know, the, the materials do matter. And I think that that was part of it. Um, a big part of it. So anyway, I've been doing some reflecting on that and over time. And so it'll be nice to talk to Crystal today. So Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Happy to be here. Yeah. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, of course. Um, So uh, I uh, just moved to my home state. So I grew up in this great state of New Mexico um, and I've been gone for over 20 years. So it's really awesome to be back home and reconnecting with a lot of people actually in the education space, which has been awesome. Um, But I started my career as a fourth and fifth grade bilingual teacher in in Texas, in Houston in particular. Um, And, you know, I think uh, even though I was a bilingual teacher, you know, it's like many of us, we have students at all levels in that classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had students that, you know, were level one English speakers, meaning that they were learning and and they were just getting their feet wet on there. And then I had students that were about to be reclassified and uh, were ready to just, you know, go full force in English. And so, um, it was a, it was interesting being in that, in that space. But, um, I, I have to say when I, when I started, it was, uh, over 20, about 20 years ago. Um, but when I started, uh, it was interesting because, uh, yeah, we had everything in print. And I just remember many of us can probably resonate, uh, that are listening is those big old binders that we would get with, uh, you know, our standards and uh-huh. <laughs> our content and our standards for English language development. Um, and so, yeah, it was really overwhelming. So I'm really jealous and very grateful for what we have now for our teachers, because that was a nightmare back then. Um, <laughs> and it was crazy, but yes, I started my career as, as a teacher, loved what I was doing. Um, and honestly, that's really what, um, drives my work today. I think about my, my students all the time and, uh, I'll even just add this piece of my personal motivation. I think we all have a why for this work, but is really my family and, and, you know, just them being in, in our system for so long and, um, did not get access to the great opportunities that many kids deserve. And mm-hmm. so knowing that my parents that were, you know, categorized as English learners, 
um, back before there was a categorization, uh, really got the brunt of, uh, of a system that did not serve them well. So um, seeing that, and that was just one generation ago, my family has been in New Mexico over seven generations. That tells wow. you a little bit about our school system. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, that is my why. Um, and this is why I'm really uh, passionate about materials and, and what they do. That's a pretty powerful why. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So can you tell us a bit about the organization that you founded? Did you, you founded English yeah. Learner Success Forum? Um, yeah. Tell us, how did, how did you get there? How did, what, what is it all about? Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, I didn't do it alone. I will say that. Uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of, of people involved that uh, really taught me a lot throughout the whole way. But um, prior to this role, I was actually working at a national foundation. I was a program officer. Um, and this is right when Common Core came to be. Um, and uh, my portfolio was on teacher supports. And this is where we started. Well, and everybody on this podcast, right, knows the whole era when textbooks were just slapping on the common core sticker oh yeah <laughs> yeah we've talked a lot about that <laughs> um, so it was uh it was during that time and so our focus was on professional learning and this is when high quality instructional materials started to uh really get formed and developed and say we need better for our educators um but part of it was obviously it was uh not a ground up effort right a lot of educators were not involved in in that and some places more than others i will say that um, but really we were, we're trying to figure out how do we help and, um, educators left and right. were just saying, this is, you know, materials aren't, they don't have what we have, right. You're telling us in this training, this is what we got to do. Uh, but our materials mm -hmm. don't even, aren't even close to that. So, um, that was a huge gap at that time. So we really left with two big questions. One is how do we empower teachers in this transition? And then obviously what is the role of material? So, it started there with, um, you know, big questions about what does this mean? Um, and as a program officer, I was very, very uh, grateful to have some awesome grantees. I won't name any of them. <laughs> awesome grantees in this space. Um, but my question to them, I mean, I'd put my teacher hat on. This is the, you know, obviously the, the, the lens I always come to the work at. And it's just like, well, great. We're doing all these great efforts on materials. But what does this mean for um, our English learners and our, our uh, emerging bilinguals? And I would honestly hear one of two responses, typically, um, and this was becoming a trend. And I would hear one, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to leave that part up to the L experts. Um, we're not going to yeah. touch it right now. That's, we don't know enough about it. So we're leaving it to the L experts. Mm. Or to, um, you know, we're going to figure it out first for, I hate this term, but it was used and still used, gen ed. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're going to finish it out for all the gen ed kids first and then we'll figure it out for other subgroups so L's special uh you know students with disabilities so forth um so really that's that's how we started is what what can we do about that um yeah and so yeah and I think that's a you know as a foundation you know you are able to convene people um and that's where we brought a lot of folks in the space to come together uh and explore this you know, what, what can we do to answer this question? Why, why we can't have these silos that exist and, and, and what that entails. And I would imagine, I don't know if this is true outside of Baltimore. I can only tell you Baltimore, but I mean, uh, you know, I, like I said, I had very 
few, if any, English learners, but I know the population is growing so quickly here. So I, everything you're saying is so needed. Is that true outside of Baltimore? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think this surprises people because you assume some of our more populous, I mean, we know California has the highest percentage of English learners. We know the demographics in New York City and Florida, right? We think of those, but um, the the fastest and highest growing EL uh, growth rates in our schools is actually in the Southeast. Hmm. Um, and in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, uh, South Carolina has grown in their EL uh, population by over 200%. Wow. wow. And, uh, yes. And then Maryland, surprisingly a second, uh, by over 180%. And then Mississippi, um, Arkansas, and Kentucky, I think, are the next three. Huh. Um, so, you know, I think you're, you're absolutely right, right? If it's not in front of you and you're not talking about it in these national contexts, people don't really understand that. And I think, like, again, going back to why materials matter, this is, you know, why I think it's imperative that we need to get out of this, um, these siloed conversations, right? Where uh, in 2025, they're predicting one in four classrooms will have an English learner, um, at least one. Right. And so this is something that we are trying to push to say we are all educators mm-hmm. of English learners. Mm-hmm. We all are. And it's not the EL, the ESOL, the bilingual coordinator and their department's responsibility. It's really all of us. Um, yeah. And so it has grown. And I think what's a little alarming, and this is really where why ELSF is, is really pushing in this, is because we have this growth uh, in our schools. Uh, but the quality of education those students receive in our schools is not improving. Yeah. And so there's some data, um, you know, that from the Economic Policy uh, Forum, I believe, that showed that uh, Latino and Asian English learners have made no progress in academic achievement in ELA and math relative to white students in the last 20 years. Oh, my gosh. So we talk about achievement gaps all the time. Right. Like, that's not a gap. That's like, I don't, I, I, I don't even know what, that's way more than a gap. That is, yeah. So I, it's a systemic issue. It's our education's problem. Um, we just have not figured out the best way to serve them. So this is where it's like, we've got to do, we've got to do better, right? We, uh, we really got to do better. And th- this is going back to why we started. We, um, you know, as we talk to our folks in this in this group and the, the, the curriculum developers and language development experts, uh, which were half of the room and who I looked up to all at the time when I was even studying to become a bilingual teacher and reading all their articles, brought them into the room and said, how do we do this? And we really concluded that, like, we need to come together, one, and collaborate. Um, and two, it's around access to the same learning with their non-English learner peers. Uh, how do we ensure that they're getting that and it's not this siloed, I hate to say it, but like simplified, watered down, dumbed down approach mm-hmm. that we often see for our students categorized as L's. So this is where we need to, again, what are those expectations? Let's come together and let's do it. Let's do it in materials. And this is really, and I, I won't even say anything about preaching to the choir about why materials, but if you go down the grain size of, of, you know, what does this mean for teachers when they say, how well do my materials serve my English learners? We have over 70% of teachers report 
that they, one, have received inadequate training, right? So that's one. And then most believe that their ELA and math materials are not even designed uh, to raise EL academic performance. So we've got a lack of training and we've got materials that don't help. And so we're kind of just throwing it at teachers saying, hey, hey, do it, you know, get it together. And that is totally unfair. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, um, and I'm only talking about Sarah because we just podcasted with her and I feel like there's so many parallels between the two of you. I mean, literally hours ago. So (laughs) it's fresh in my mind. Um, But one of the things that she mentioned is that um, the power of pushing in and staying in the classroom rather than being pulled out during that ELA time is paramount. And not that it's, not that it's like, okay, we never need to address these things for the, this student, right? In, uh, we do, but it's not during ELA time. And I remember being that fifth grade teacher, like I just shared in the very beginning of this conversation. And that was the time that they, I mean, that was the first question. Well, when's your ELA block? We'll pull him out during your ELA block. Cause, yeah. and, and I mean, and oh, for teachers I just that don't go know, back. right. If you're not trained, you don't know what to do. Then right. you know, might feel like, great, <laughs> please <laughs> take them now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit and just yeah. the power of, of both and right? Like we're not saying that this child does not need additional supports. We're just saying, they also need content-rich, high-quality instructional materials and opportunities to hear their, their peers speak, hear the content that's being delivered, engage with it, and then have opportunities to work through any, any challenges that might ensue, but also like get that vocabulary and, and rise to the challenge, you know? That's right. No, that's absolutely right. And that, that is, again, a systems issue where a district or a school can have some power in the scheduling and what that looks like, right? And I, I, I do think that's some unlearning that still we have to do in many places of like, are we, when are we pulling them out? Is it during math and ELA? And isn't that, does that even make any sense when they are taking, you know, they're held to the same standards and they're taking the same assessments as their mm-hmm. non-L peers. Mm-hmm. And yet we're pulling them out during that time where they probably should be learning the same stuff. Right. Um, I know I think that's part of it. And then I, I will say the other thing that um, I know one one issue that we're starting to see, which in, in in my opinion is is also contributing to these silos, is we have a lot of uh, ELD supplemental materials that uh, if you do have like an ELD teacher or an ESOL teacher, they may take that student separately and dive in with ELD. And again, this is where you dive into the mechanics of English and learning as different you know different things. Why are we not doing that within the context of what kids are learning? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why there's there's great materials that are, are starting to form. But we can't forget that uh, it's also a compliance thing. Right. Um, you are required by law. I mean, this this happened by law. There's so many. That's why there's so many civil rights um, you know, violations happening in districts and states across the country. They are required to have designated English language development time. Now, when you do it and how you do it. Ooh, that's been up to interpretation. So, <laughs> right. uh, but no, this is exactly why I think a good foundational curriculum that really takes into account the language needs of all kids um, and really empowers teachers to say, okay, well, if I need to do this during designated ELD time, could I use this curriculum? Can I use these things where these concepts we're learning? Can we pull 
vocabulary from this rich, complex text that they've been using in ELA time and maybe pull it out and really understand the mechanics. So that way it's taught in context and not in complete isolation of what's learning. So I do think that there's uh, materials that are starting to move that way in ELA, which we are super excited to see, um, but we've got a ways to go. And so uh, again, I think it, in these cross you know, roads, what do you do in terms of empowering teachers to understand how to adapt? what they currently have um, in, in that learning. But yes, it's absolutely a challenge, I think, for um, those of us that are in systems that don't allow us to do this in a very thoughtful way. Which is probably a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of systems. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading, um, well, for the second time, there's uh, an article or a publication called The Role of Background Knowledge in Reading Comprehension, a Critical Review. I can link it if I can, if I can, if not, then I will just cite it and everybody can go find it and read it. Um, they talk a lot about, well, I'm going to talk, I'm gonna, just going to share one bit that you made me think of, Crystal, because um, I have like my annotated text here. So I'm going to share it because you're making me think about it. Um, so it says schematic views of reading. Um postulate that reading is comprised of interactions between the literal propositional representation of a text, which is called the text base and a related schema formed from background knowledge. And then without an effective text base that is coherent with the content of the text, the reader has access to little information that can be integrated with any related schemata. So I, I think that that's what you're talking about, that the, it really is based in giving this reader who is a fifth grade reader or a blank grade reader in another language, right? If they don't, they're not coming with no information. They're coming with lots of rich information and experiences. They just can't, there's a language barrier. And so they they have schema somewhere <laughs> and we have to continue to build that. And, and maybe they do, if they don't have it, we have to build it. Um, but we can't do that through a pullout where we're asking them to um, do very low level tasks all the time and right. not integrate content. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is where we really push collectively. And I think we all have this intention, but it may not come out in, in, in you know, whether it's the text selection and all this, but it goes back to that asset-based approach to your teaching, right? Like, do you truly believe that your students and this is all students, right? But have their specific, fun, we call them funds of knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they have some experiences that they don't know how to tell you about. But if you were able to help them make that connection between something they've experienced and the text that you're reading or words or vocabulary or whatever, right? How empowering is that for the kid to, you know, the student to just be like, wow, this... I know this, but how often are we given giving students those opportunities when we're going through, you know, um, a lesson, right? Whether DLA or math, how often do we stop and pause and think? And I think this is where exactly you're saying, like, how do we make that transition and empower it? Because again, I think you'll hear me say probably multiple times on this podcast is like what when you do this, when you have this explicit attention and it's asset based, but also language intent intensive, it benefits everybody in the classroom. So why not just, yep. you know, imagine like every kid that has their own experience. So I think you're absolutely right, Lori. I think 
you know, it could be very intentional building this out um, and what it looks like. And we all have our own experiences too. And we go into professional learning as adults, right? And we're able to make connections with, oh my gosh, I've done something similar to that and bring that to our learning. Uh, it's just much, much more powerful for our kids to, to see that in context. Yeah. I liked when we did our pre-call, I mean, I put like 10 stars next to it that what's good for, <laughs> you know, English language learners is really good for all kids. And that, you know, not only do they deserve the same content, but it's, it, it supports every student. So, you know, I'm thinking about the struggling readers who, when you're speaking about English language learners, there's lots of crossover to me. Um, there lots of similar similarities that I'm identifying, um, and thinking about as you're speaking. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what we know works and um, what that looks like in the classroom. Absolutely. So yes, I and to expand on that term, um, you know, it, it break that down a bit. Like uh, I think the opposite is is worth noting. So what we say all the time, as you just said, Lori, what's good for L's is good for all kids. But the opposite is not true, right? Mm. What's good for all kids, and this is where we hear the term, oh, it's just good teaching. Mm. Or just do it for everybody. And if you do these things really well, your kids are going to get it. Um, that's not always the most beneficial approach for English learners, right? So what's good for all kids is not always good for, all, for, for it's not always best for English learners. But what good, what's good for English learners is good for all kids. And I, I think this is, again, going back to really being explicit. Um, and I hope we'll be able to maybe dive into a lesson a little bit later and yeah. show some of those examples because um, that's exactly what we need to be doing, you know, very intentionally. And so I think to just, I'll, I'll call it out, right? Even pointing the term English learner, I do think sometimes people see it and I'm like, oh, well, I don't have English learners. I don't need to do that. Um, and this is where we, we really say, no, this is, let's let's think about this holistically for all of our kids. Um, and so this is what we did. And this is when we started uh, ELSF. And I will say uh, all of our, our materials are openly licensed. They're free. They're on our website because we truly believe that all of this is stuff that needs to be shared widely, right? We know what works in research. We have a pretty good foundational research base for content-based reading for uh, and reading and math for, for uh, English learners. Uh, so what we did is we called all that research. We brought <laughs> together amazing experts in the field, both in English language development, language, uh, language acquisition, as well as many of our friends in uh, the high quality instructional material space, some of our friends uh, that have written the, the Common Core State Standards mm -hmm. that know that language is the big part of the new stand, you know, the stand, I guess they're not new anymore. But the <laughs> um, and we called these together and we put a set of guidelines uh, for ELA and a set of guidelines for math about what, what should materials be improving to reflect those. Um, and again, they're pretty in the weeds, but a lot of uh, our content developers, which is awesome, a lot of publishers that are developing curriculum, a lot of uh, even districts that are developing their own curriculum, they consistently go to these guidelines and they say, okay, are we doing enough for our English learners and how do we really boulder, boulder and like, you know, pull out all the language aspects of this work that need to be front and center for not only L's, but for all kids. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
And I think that's the, the exciting thing is that we do know enough to do something. And uh, I do want to emphasize too, that like, uh, this is what makes us a bit different. I think from a lot of EL efforts out there in the space that are uh, somewhat content agnostic, right? They'll, they'll be doing things around um, think pair share or do these things and they're all uh, separate from the deep content that is what our students should be, you know, uh, really getting into and struggling with a bit. All students should be doing productive struggle with what they're learning, right? Because it's at a higher at a grade level that they need to be, we need to be teaching up to them. So um, our, our focus is on access to grade level content for mm-hmm. all of our kids. Um, there are other efforts on proficiency and how do you get, you know, students reclassified and speaking English quicker. Ours is really around the learning and that approach to really giving them, again, the same learning opportunities as everybody else. Um, so we do have uh, what that looks like. And so to your question, like it, I'm gonna list these, we, we have some concepts here that um, I'm gonna list out. And I was just thinking, I wonder if I took out the term English learners, if, how that would resonate with folks, right? But I'll give you a few examples. So okay. we have like five areas that we really think are critical. Uh, for curriculum for English learners. Um, The first one is language and content are interdependent. So we really believe instructional materials interdependently support language and content learning through engaging interactive oral language, writing and reading activities. Now that piece, it doesn't say English learners, but right, but how many of these, how many opportunities are our materials actually giving students that, you know, to build arguments, mm-hmm. ask questions, uh, to engage and, and to speak back what their what their what their peer just said back, right? Like we love that stuff. We've all used that <laughs> all this benefit all kids. So that's like a that's like a, a say a for sure say. The second one are you know scaffolds are attentive to individual L's in the moment. They're planned for, they're anticipated needs, and they're adapted over time. And again, I think this is how we look at what does a curriculum say, what does a content say, and how do we emphasize language through that? And it is more than vocabulary. This includes syntax, discourse. But again, how is it using complex grade level text? And imagine too, right. like all kids kind of benefit from that when yep. we do a deep dive, right? So I think we have these principles. I we have a couple more that I'd be happy to share, but. Um, these are all things that we know work. This is what the research says. And, um, no. this is, you know, again, I think this is what we're hoping to see. We're already seeing it in a few places, but more curriculum that's being developed to have these embedded structures and it be, you know, uh, critical and in, 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 in embedded in the design features of every material, um, curriculum material that gets developed. I love that. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Melissa. Okay. Just before I forget, Crystal, will you send me those after the podcast? Like, will you send me a little snapshot of them just so that I can oh. include them in the notes so everybody can, even if we don't get to all of them, we can link them in so everybody has that great information. Sure, sure. Thanks. I was just going to say, I think that the thing that probably gets taken out the most for a lot of these, not, you know, not the work you're doing, but I'm just saying in general, is the complex grade level content, right? Like, I mean, you know, even novice here, but even I knew like oral language is really helpful, but I could imagine it often being, you know, like you said earlier, watered down or with, you know, content that's below grade level instead of like, for me, it feels like the, 
I don't know, the the newer part of it <laughs> is like, do it with the grade level content, the complex texts. That's exactly right, Melissa. And that's another resource I'll send you guys after this is, uh, I don't know how deeply you've gotten to the fun world of leveled readers, but um, uh, one of our great advisors, uh, Lily Wong Fillmore, Dr. Lily Wong Fillmore is very well known in the EL space. Um, but she did a resource for us about uh, her and her, her colleague, Farah Asaraj, uh, who's an educator in Boston, and really laid out some do's and don'ts of leveled readers because of that exact point, mm-hmm. Melissa. Um, we see often, you know, you can walk into a high school ESOL class um, and they're given a text at their level. And what if they're at a third grade level? I know. Uh, imagine being that high school student with a third grade level book or mm-hmm. the teacher saying, well, you don't know enough English to do this, what we're doing in class. So here you go, getting you something easier. Right. And that's where we're really concerned about, you know, leveled readers being a thing. If you give it consistently a leveled reader to an English learner at their level, how in the world are they going to ever catch up one? Mm-hmm. Because that gap is so start big to begin with. But also, that's how they learn the the, the functions of language. Mm-hmm. Right? That's how you learn words, and why not do it with beautiful texts? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and that's where we can really, uh, you know, keep that those expectations high. But again, it takes intentional scaffolding, right? It's not going to come easy and be like, well, how come they didn't get it? They told me to keep. You know, that's that's really where we we see the promise of educative materials, mm-hmm. really guiding teachers to scaffold not only for L's, but for all the kids that are maybe a little behind grade level. Right. Um, but you're exactly right. I think. And I'm happy to send that resource because it's a two pager. It's something quickly, easy educators can look at about do's and don'ts for leveled readers. Um Okay, so we've got it, girl. We got we've got that resource. I I got I have it on my desktop. Okay, okay. so I um I actually I read aloud in uh, the in Sarah Webb's podcast. I read aloud the options like option A and option B to show the excerpts from text because I was like, this is such a stark contrast. We need to read this aloud so that people can hear, you know, the difference between what you get if you have a leveled reader versus what you get if you have access to high quality text and content and which one do you want your child, your student to read? And oh, there's, um, we also had Sonia Santelisis on and she talks about educational redlining. And of course, I'm just obsessed with that. Um, and, and her explanation of it in particular is so clear and she's just incredibly articulate, but, um, you know, she always says like, which student, you know, gets to stay, who gets to go, who gets the the text that's owls are birds of prey, they catch rats and mice. And who gets the text that says, imagine you're a small animal minding your own business, scurrying low to the ground. Like who gets which text and why doesn't every student get that rich text? <laughs> yeah, I have it pulled up right now, obviously. I'm, I think this is an amazing resource. Um, I will hyperlink it in every podcast that we talk about. <laughs> Get ready, everybody. <laughs> yeah, right. It's coming at you. Actually, Melissa and I are both in the, um, I don't know if you're in any of those um, science of re- reading groups on Facebook, Crystal, but um, it's quite an experience. And like everyone who's the gamut, like folks who are just learning and 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 folks who are, you know, really have a good understanding. Um, so it's really nice. And like, I feel like people constantly ask questions where this resource would be helpful. So I'm going to go post after this in that, 
that group and I'm going to post this resource for them. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, uh, we have just amazing people in our community that, um, as you see, Dr. Lily Wong Fillmore and, and, and Farah uh, Asaraj, they're, we always try to match it with a classroom educator mm-hmm. and these resources because, again, the expertise that lies in this community, one, is just mind-blowing to me all the time. I learn so much from folks. But, yeah, our teachers are doing it. They are doing it. And they see the result of, you know, holding these high expectations. So, yes, share it out. And hopefully there's other resources, too, that people find useful um, that we're, we're consistently putting out for folks. So, We've had a few podcasts lately about UDL, equity, and we talk a lot about how, you know, some of the new materials, especially Wit and Wisdom, because it's what we know, um, don't have like those boxes like my textbook used to have of like, you know, here's where, here's where the thing is for UDL, here's where the thing is for English learners. And I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about, you know, a lesson um, and what, like, what's in a, a good lesson for English learners that you might not even see, right? It's just part of the lesson. Yes. Thank goodness we don't have as many. I will say they're not all gone yet. There's some curricula <laughs> that I've seen that I would not put in the high quality instructional materials category <laughs> that do, they do have those, right? So I think first of, first is like a shift in thinking for all of us, right? Um, and I think this is where if we're not educating at all levels of the system, uh, are those are our friends that are on the adoption committees, for example, at the state and district level, do they know that that's not what they need to be looking for anymore? And not, not at every state, not at every state. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so what's our job in, in terms of educating everybody in this space? And it is a shift of thinking because if you were like me in the classroom 20 years ago, you're going to go back to those materials and be like, I don't see what they they don't have no differentiated supports for English. (laughs) I don't see anything. (laughs) Um, So yes, I think this is where we try to go in and, um, you know, show as many examples as we can. And we are continually needing to build more exemplars. I'll be honest with you. We don't have enough out there to show what we mean and what we don't mean, right? Um, So one of the exciting things that we have on our site, um, and it is a frequently visited uh, resource, which we're happy about, is we were able to partner with a few curriculum developers and said, okay, let's do a deep dive into some of these lessons and units, and let's actually look at what are some good features for our students categorized itself. What are some good features in an ELA math curriculum? And let's pull them out and let's annotate them and let's talk about why they're good. Uh, but before we do that, what I always like to do, and I've done this with Title III uh, and, uh, uh, directors uh, in, from various states. I've done this with superintendents. And it's interesting to see the aha moments. But what we typically do is we print out a, a, a high quality instruction, you know, a high quality lesson it out there and I said okay well the first thing I want you to do is go through take five minutes work with your partner and highlight all the things that you think are really helpful for English learners and so they sit there and they go through it right and uh, again I think there's questions always at the end of it saying well I didn't see a lot of uh you know pull up you know they didn't really extrapolate the language or they didn't say to show a picture here (laughs) or there's no glossary with translations it's the stuff we typically easily grab onto Mm -hmm. and uh and so it's a good like okay great and then we give them a lesson with that's annotated 
and really pulling it out and saying, okay, now let's go through here and let's figure out what this looks like. And that's where we get some, whoa, uh, aha lessons. So one lesson that I'm pulled out, um, and this is again, it's on our website. Um, and it's uh, what, what, we, what we did with this one is we partnered with our friends at Wit and Wisdom and they were very adamant about saying, hey, we don't want to just do one lesson. We need to show an arc of lessons that really build off of this. And, and you know, again, because there's pieces in here that need to be spiraled both in content and language over time and be consistent. Yeah. Which we were like, yes, we love hearing that language, right? Like, because this is beneficial for all kids. So as we annotated this one let's let's do it and, and I know the audience can't see the lesson so um there's five lessons on our site it's about the figurative heart and and literal figurative heart is the, t- the t- topic and how do you even dive into that um but what we do is we go through this lesson and this is the exercise that I give you know uh, educators how do we pull out some of these really great features that are important uh for students so one uh as you said earlier Lori there's pieces in here that are really about building background knowledge. And then so we pull out that and say, why is that beneficial for English learners? Um, and so, okay, great. So again, most people don't see that as an L support, right? They're like, oh, it's background. Hey, but how are you making that explicit for your English learners in the class? Um, I saw another- too in there, Crystal, there's a part for like eliciting their own background knowledge too, not just like... You know, <laughs> they don't know anything. Let me give it all to them, but also like getting from them. That's what they right. Do know. And there's pieces in here that we just love because we get this question a lot is when do you, when are, when are the students home language? When is it supposed to be mm. used? <laughs> and it's not a simple mm. answer, right? Like, but there's lessons in here that say, is it okay? Yes. Encourage your students to go home and interview their parents in their home language. And really understand, again, focused on the concept and language. And then they bring it back to the classroom. They can report out with their partners that maybe speak the same language as them, or they can translate it. There's tools now that have, you know, there's very uh, creative ways that students can bring that back home. But again, they're tying their background and what they know into what they're learning. And this is where this lesson is really, you know, powerful and and explicit for them uh, of what it looks like. So one, we just we love that one. Um, And I think as you go through some of the other pieces, um, you'll see, you know, uh, the even the vocabulary uh, section that is at the end of a, a lesson it is not in, you know, it's not a vocabulary list that's given at the beginning and everybody goes and writes down the definition in the dictionary and talks about vocabulary words in isolation, right? How hard is that for an English order to be like, why am I learning this word, <laughs> right? But what they do is they pull it out of the context of the lesson and the complex text that they're learning. Let's pull it out. And, and again, it breaks it down about what does this word mean? What does it mean in the sentence? What does it mean figuratively? Um, but there's some beautiful arcs of really diving into figurative versus literal, you know, language. And what does it mean? And um, I could go into it, but I think most folks would benefit from like, honestly, just uh, checking it out themselves and seeing what it looks like. But there's some really great examples of it being super explicit on various forms of, of building language and content simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were talking through lesson one, correct? Uh, yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll link them all. (laughs) Um, So our listeners can take a little look, see. Um, But it's so fun because every time I feel like I look through them, I feel like it really reaffirms what I did in the classroom. And because the, the, the things that are happening here are so embedded within, right? And so even though I didn't have high quality materials when I was teaching, I still had practices that were supportive of English language learners. Now I would have preferred to have the materials as well, but um, it it is affirming to hear that, you know, some of these are really intuitive as teachers. Um, and then also that they are included within. I, I like the idea of annotating it because it makes it really visual. So I would encourage everybody, if you're going to look at one lesson, be sure you look at the whole arc because you can really see over time how it grows. Um, and what you might think is, quote, missing in one lesson is intentionally saved for another day because that's not the intent or purpose of that particular lesson um, because it is intentionally scaffolded over time to build both, you know, skills and, and knowledge. That's right. No, and I... The, the thing you'll hear, uh, I think these terms are growing. Uh, we've got some colleagues in the field that are also doing, you know, professional learning on this, but the spiraling of content and language. Um, and this is a prime example, as you said, Lori, that is something that, you know, as you think about it, it's, it's providing opportunities for students to apprentice their language skills and the concepts. And it's, it has to be intentional and consistent. This is why like it's, not helpful to go download one lesson from Teachers Pay Teachers and plug it in and be like, all right, well, this is my lesson for this standard, right? Preach, um, preach. Really not helpful for our English learners, I'm being honest, because how great is it to have a concept or a language skill that you revisit every three weeks, every four weeks? And imagine you are visiting that concept five to seven times throughout the entire school year how much more in depth they're going to get that concept than like these isolated things of them. Ha- you're, you're forcing them to make some of those connections in a way that's not as intentional. Right. So this is where I think this spiraling of content and language is key for materials. And I, I will say this, like we work with, uh, and I'm going to do this very openly. Like we work with anybody who wants to work with us to actually have these kinds of skills you know, uh, embedded concepts and skills throughout their materials. Um, this is one partner with wisdom, right? But there's other publishers in the space. I have yep. to be fair in that, that have worked with us that are moving towards this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really excited because again, we really feel that this is going to, this is a game changer for curriculum development. And it's not until you see your anecdotes, Lori and Melissa, talking about how beneficial this is. But when we go out and we see it happening in the classroom, and I think the most exciting thing is the aha moments that kids have when they're just like making, well, we love that, right? We live for that moment when our student just says, oh, I get it. You know, you're just like, oh my God, this is awesome, right? I think it's the same. I mean, this is just us getting closer to that, especially with something that's, you know, these are, these are complex and tough concepts for a lot of our students, but I think that's our job. And that's the job of curriculum developers is to give us the supports we need to make that a lot more intentional and consistent. 
and Melissa. I know Melissa and I are always like, we can read each other. So <laughs> I was just thinking of when we adopted Wit and Wisdom in Baltimore and how one of the first things people said was like, there is, there, there are no supports for our English learners. Um, so we need the ESOL office to do it, right? Like make all the supports. And I was just thinking like, this would have been more helpful, right? Go through and show where they are, <laughs> right? Where they, where they already exist. Um, have them. I will, I will say that. I, I do think, um, you know, we're, we're at the beginning stages. Mm-hmm. Um, there, we're starting to see some good efforts happening around this. Now, is it as exhaustive as ELSF wants all of this curriculum to be? Not yet. Like, right. and I think there's some that are well ahead good of point. Um, but there's still some work to do. I will say that like, and this is where we want to help uh, both sides, right? We want to help decision makers identify what key features they want to see. Because if we're being honest, like, you know, districts and states, they they hold the bar for these curriculum developers and publishers in the space. And there's some publishers that um, have not done the hard work. Um, and so that's like all of our jobs. I really feel that we need to educate each other about what are these things. And that's where, you know, that's why our stuff is free, to be honest. We don't want to be holding it and say, no, we're going to. Right. Hold it all. No, we want everybody to know what is that bar for L's and whether you're on the developer side, do you meet this bar? Mm-hmm. And there's self-assessment tools on our website too. So you can actually go in and see, does our, do our materials do this stuff as extensively as we think? And then on the educator and leader side, how do I demand more? Um, because we're going through an adoption process in three years mm-hmm. and our materials have had no good results <laughs> for any of our English learners. This is also where we're create we have tools on our site and we're creating more that will empower these adoption committees to say, we have to have embedded L supports. Okay, great. What does that look like in our adoption criteria? Um, so I think it's like, it's both sides that we're really trying to empower with information. Um, and we're not there yet. So I want to make that clear. Like, I think we have, (laughs) but we're, we're, we're excited about the trajectory that we're on collectively, um, and where folks are moving. So very exciting. It is. And I just have to reassure you that we have not had a perfect guest on our podcast who has been there yet. I think I've said it like once every five podcasts, everybody's like, it's not perfect. We're not there yet. I'm like, that's cool. Nobody's there yet. (laughs) But we are, we are super grateful for your work and like just so thankful for all that you do for students, teachers, educators, curriculum developers every day. But I also love that our like curriculum companies, not all, but the ones that we're talking about here do have that mindset of like, we want to keep improving, right? It's not like the old textbooks where it's like, well, it's done, it's printed, they're all out and that's it forever. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I I just appreciate that people have that mindset of like, we have what we have and we're going to keep making it better. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Crystal, I feel like our time is coming to a close, even though it does make me sad. Um, (laughs) But I would love, love, love if you would share a piece of advice for our listeners. We have, I think, Melissa, right? Almost 50K downloads. So we're pretty pumped. You had 45 on our sheet. I was like, I know. Well, that's when I did the pre call with Crystal. It wasn't 45. Now we're we're almost at, I just checked the other day, we're almost at 50. So um, you're reaching a whole lot of people. If you could leave one piece of advice, what would you share? Oh, this one? I know. Well, feel free. I mean, go ahead. You have six minutes <laughs> or as much time uh, as you can. <laughs> um, 
Well, in my head, they're all connected. So I'll, I'll start with this. I think like the, the number one thing is to know our students. So one, know your students, right? And I think, and I say that we were talking earlier about like, you know, what's, you know, I even talked to one educator, for example, here that was telling me that she didn't know she had an English learner um, probably until the second month of the school year. Mm. Well, one, because the, t- the students spoke English pretty well, right? But she didn't know she was categorized as an English learner. Um, so I think like one is like know your students and look for and ask for materials with embedded language supports. Um, I think we have enough resources out there. We've got tons of free ones to know what to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, after today, I think we can say like when when language, I hope that stuck is like when language is attended to explicitly, it really benefits all kids in the classroom. Um, so I'm hoping that these little nuggets of knowing our students, knowing who, you know, what's, what's required for us to do better, uh, will flow into the many state and district, uh, adoption processes that are happening. Um, I don't feel we've seen enough of that at that level. Um, so I would say like my advice would be to get involved, advocate on behalf of our, our English learners, um, get your colleagues that know this well to have a seat at the table, because I feel that very few of us, honestly, are at this table and we must do this on behalf of our kids if we truly believe they deserve access uh, to quality learning. And so um, I heard this last, this last week from a colleague and I was just like, man, this is us. So I'd say like just ending on this note of like being aware is the minimum, right? Mm-hmm. And I hope that if this is new to folks, I hope that this is like our awareness bucket and it's like <laughs> what we do next is what matters. Um, because turning this into something uh, because of awareness without action is ignoring it, right? And so if we do more, um, I really do think it's going to have the ultimate impact on our kids is what we all want. So I'd end with that. That's great. Crystal, can you share the website real quick? Because it is just full of resources. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'll link it. I'll link it as well. Yeah, it's uh, ELSuccessForum, F-O-R-U-M dot org. Yeah, there's so um, much and again, there. <laughs> we're adding more and more as we uh, as we grow and in, in coming from our educator community and expert community. So, yeah, uh, come visit us. That's so good. Thank you. I'll link it and I'll link um, explicitly the pieces that we talked about. So I'll link the general website as well as the do's and don'ts of... Um, is it do's and don'ts of leveled reading? Is that what it's entitled? Leveled readers. Leveled readers. Um, and then also the annotated lessons so that folks can just go right there as we're talking about it if they're at a computer. And if not, they can check it out later if they're driving or however they're listening. So we are super grateful. And I feel like Absolutely. we should connect you with um, with Kimyana Burke from Excel and Ed, who we also have had on our podcast. <laughs> I feel like I need to make a little introduction. She's a policy expert. And um, I just feel like a lot of what you're sharing somehow should be embedded in that policy. <laughs> hey. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. We might we might have to make a little intro uh, to the two of you. So awesome. well, thank, thank you so you. much. <laughs> thank you guys. I really do appreciate just the invitation um, and the conversation and you digging into this with me. You can tell I'm very passionate about it. And uh, thank you guys for all you're doing on this. I appreciate it. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you. Keep up the great work thank and you. we can't wait to to keep seeing all the incredible resources on the website that will just help educators everywhere. So thank you. 
Awesome. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.